0: Well, good morning. Welcome again to Restoration. If we haven't yet met, my name is Molly. I'm the pastor of Outreach here. And you might notice that there are several men, including my husband, Rick, who are on um, the men's retreat this weekend, so they're not here. Um, we've invited Father Scott to come and preach and celebrate this morning for us. You might be confused because he doesn't have a southern accent, but he's wearing true. cowboy boots. <laughs> um, Scott originally hails from Texas and Tennessee. But I actually do
1: just wear cowboy boots, by the way. It's not just a gimmick.
0: It's not just a gimmick. No, it's not. I've known you for a long time now, and always the boots. Um, yeah, but Scott has lived in the Chicago area and England, so we won't have the pleasure of hearing the Southern drawl.
1: Um, I might say y'all.
0: I mean, that's great. Um, Scott has a beautiful wife and four young boys. And in 2018, they planted Christ Church in Madison. So if you're ever in Madison, we encourage you to attend there. And we send our heartiest greetings to your beloved church from Mm. Restoration. Um, Let me pray for you. Please. Okay. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be visited by our brother Scott this morning. We ask your blessings on Christ Church Madison. We are thankful um, most of all for your word and that you would choose to speak to us. And we ask now that you would open our hearts that we might hear from you. Your words are eternal life. Speak to us through your servant Scott. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Good morning, everybody. I, I've wanted to come to Restoration for a long time. Um, I said in the first service, we, we planned it a year after you all. And we, we our birthday church birthday is All Saints, which I believe is yours as well. So I said, you guys are like our cool older sister that we like basically have imitated everything you did so far. So whatever you're going to do is what we're going to do the year after. So it's great. And I also said, Rick's like my cool older brother, who's now super old because he's 40. And so... Yeah, I love Rick. I love Molly. I love your church. Thanks for having me. Um, So if you're ever in Madison, come see us. Christ Church Madison. But a, a story that has really shaped our congregation's understanding of who we are as a church and what we are called to do as a church is Genesis 28 and the story of Jacob's Ladder, which, by the way, I think is a bad title for it, as we'll discuss soon. But traditionally, it's known as Jacob's Ladder. Um... And I think this story, biblically speaking, is, is one of the best small stories to understand the mission of Jesus and the gospel, and then also what the church is called to be in whatever place that the church is in. And it might not seem like that's readily apparent at first, but we're going to work through it, and I hope uh, we're going to dive into Jacob's Ladder to see what's going on in this story. Uh, and then I hope that it serves your congregation in a similar way that it has for us. Where it's become this imagination capturer and shaper uh, in the way that we think about our life as a congregation. Sound good? Um, you can grab a pew Bible if you have your, your bulletin. We're gonna, I would hope to get your nose in the scriptures with me this morning. Before we get there, in order to understand Genesis 28... You need to understand one idea and three stories. Three little background stories to give you context. So one idea, three backstories. Here's the idea. There is a world you can see, and there is a world you can't see. There's a world that you can see, this one. There's a world you can't see. There's a physical realm, and there's a spiritual realm. There are physical beings, in-fleshed beings like us can slap that piece of wood and then there are spiritual beings that you can't see now there are modern folks you know people have been saying this for a while that that's not true that there's only a material world but that is a tiny tiny percentage historically and globally the vast majority of people throughout cultures and throughout history have sensed that there is a seen and an unseen world they felt it. They've experienced it. And the Bible believes it too. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Second Corinthians, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are... For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I mean, just to say that today is kind of mind-blowing, but it's true. This is what the Bible teaches. There's a seen world, there's an unseen world. Here are the three stories. That's the idea. Here are the three stories that you need to understand the context of Jacob's ladder. The first is creation. Genesis 1-2 to shows us a world where there was harmony and access between the seen and unseen. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. There was this congruity between heaven and earth in this really beautiful way in creation that we see. The second story is the fall. When Adam and Eve rebel against God, there's literally a separation that happens. They're sent out of the garden east of Eden, which is where John Steinbeck gets his title for his famous novel, which is all about Genesis. That novel, by the way, is about life, feeling these things that we're talking about. So if... There was congruity and harmony and access between heaven and earth and creation as God intended. And like they got married in creation. If heaven and earth got married in creation, they get divorced in the fall. There is a separation. They can't go back. And this is the Bible's answer for why we, humanity, has always had this really confusing and torturous relationship with the seen and the unseen, with the physical and the spiritual. You were born to inhabit a physical world. You are in a body, an enfleshed, embodied human body. And yet, the Bible also teaches that you were born with eternity in your heart. This deeper thing that you know, you have this profound desire for the transcendent, but east of Eden, we all feel like it's just out of our reach. Or we can sense it's there, but we don't know how to access it or tap into it. You guys ever feel like that? Say amen if you ever feel like that. All right. Here's two quotes. It was a part of my coming to preach stipulation that I had to quote C.S. Lewis and Jared Tolkien. So I'm just doing what Rick told me to do, okay? Here's C.S. Lewis. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself... A desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Amen. Here's Tolkien. Tolkien wrote this in a letter. And I just think it's glorious. We all long for Eden. And we're constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted it's gentlest and most human is still soaked with the sense of exile. Soaked with the sense of exile. And this is why we write and are drawn to stories that involve a portal to another world. I used to live in England and pretty much all of the great narratives that have captured the world's imagination have to do with somebody finding an import into another world. So what is the portal in Narnia? The wardrobe. What's the portal in Harry Potter? The platform of nine and three quarters. Where's the platform? I said this in the first... We, we have one great portal story from the Midwest, which is the field of dreams. The cornfields. I don't know if younger generations are watching that anymore, but... Oh my gosh, it's so good. But that's why it's so fascinating. What's out in the cornfield? James Earl Jones says, "Something's out there, Ray," and you're just like, "Duh!" That's why we're drawn to this. But more seriously, this is the history of religion. It's people trying to figure out how do we tap into the to the spiritual world. How do we how do we access heaven? Because we're all soaked with the sense of exile, and that's why every continent and every culture ever you will find a place, a shrine, a temple, a cathedral, a Stonehenge, a something that people have set up to try and be an access point for the divine, for the transcendent. And I don't care how loud Richard Dawkins yells that it's not true, people will always continue to sense the spiritual world, to long for the transcendent, and to feel soaked with the sense of exile. And this leads us to the third story, which is Babel. The story of Babel is about people trying to open up a portal to heaven. At first read, it seems weird because it just seems like people are getting together and say, why don't we build a huge tower? That would be awesome. And then God's like, you can't build a tower. And he like smashes it down. As a kid, I never understood the Tower of Babel. Why would God not allow them to build a tower? Like we built skyscrapers, you know. But scholars will point out to you, Um, when it's read in its biblical and cultural context, it's a bunch of people trying to build a stairway to heaven. The tower is not the Tower of Pisa. The tower actually is more like a ziggurat. You guys know what a ziggurat is? It's like a pyramid with steps. And a ziggurat was for the express purpose of building a stairway to heaven. So the top of it was meant to be a place where God, the gods, in the ancient Near East would come down, and where there would be an exchange between heaven and earth. God thwarts their plan because they, by their own effort, are trying to reach heaven themselves. Apart from God, they're trying to create their own manipulative way to access heaven and open up a portal to earth, but they can't do it. So Babel is the story. If creation is the story of heaven and earth being in harmony, the fall is the story of heaven and earth being separate. Babel is the story of the failure of human religion to get back. And now, you're ready to read this insane story. Flip in your Bible. You have pew Bibles, I think. We don't have pews in our church because we meet in a high school. I so wish we did. Oh, my gosh. By the way, praise God for this building. This is so cool. Um, Flip with me in your Bible to Genesis 28 or in your bulletin. I think it's on page 6. We're going to pick up in verse 10. Say amen if you're there. All right. Um, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder. Now, the ESV puts ladder, but if you are looking at your Bible, you might note there's a footnote. And it says at the bottom, in Hebrew, or a flight of steps. So this is not... A ladder. This is more like a ziggurat. A stairway. He dreamed and behold there was a flight of steps set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it. So Jacob sees a stairway to heaven. He sees an opening. He sees a portal into eternity. And on top of it, he sees God, which is wild. And the Lord stood above it. Now, what does he hear? Look at verse 13. This is what he sees. What does he hear? The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land." And I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised. God reveals himself, importantly here, he's not just some random deity, he's He's the God of his dad, Isaac. He's the God of his granddad, Abraham, who made a covenant with both of those men. And he promises then that he's still going to keep his word to do what he told he was going to do to Abraham, which is to bless the whole world through this family. But notice in particular what he says in verse 15, I'll keep you wherever you go, but I'm going to bring you back to this land. In other words, he wants to do something with what he's showing Jacob. He's going to bring him back to this place. So Jacob seeing this opening in heaven was not a mistake like Jack and the Beanstalk, which is another fantastic example of a portal to another world. And that one, Jack stumbles on it. This wasn't an accident, you know, that Jacob saw. God wanted him to see this. And then he promises that he'll bring back. So how does Jacob respond? These are two of my favorite verses in the scripture. I mean, this has truly been defining verbiage for Christ Church Madison, for our congregation. Look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome, which means awe-filling, awe-striking is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So he gives it a name, Bethel, which means the house of God. He also goes on to make a cheeky deal, so we know he's, he's still got a lot of virtue work to do. Jacob's story is a long one. It's awesome because it shows us that God has patience with us all. But the important part about Bethel is what it reveals about God himself and his desire, which is God's desire is to open up heaven once again, to give us access to make an exchange once again between heaven and earth to make it possible for us not just to feel eternity in our heart and to be soaked with a sense of exile, but for us to follow that longing back to its destination. That's what God wants. That's, since the time of Jacob, the mission that God has been on. Amen? Isn't that cool? It gets me jacked up. Love this stuff. And we can't miss the way that Bethel is the opposite of Babel. Babel was people of their own will and exertion trying to do this. Of their own wisdom. And it did not work. All false spirituality, all false religion is Babel. Bethel. Completely an act of grace. Jacob was running away after, you know, stealing stuff from his brother and his dad. Like, and God just showed up. He just did it for him. He didn't deserve it. He didn't ask for it. God provided it. It's amazing. Last thing I want you to catch before we move on to Jesus in the church is this mixed metaphor in verse 17. This is a paradox. It doesn't make any sense, but it's a paradox right at the mystery and the heart of who Jesus is in in the church. The house of God, the gate of heaven. Somehow the house is a gate. And somehow the gate is a house. Isn't that funny? It's interesting, but I think it's... We're meant to see that the place where God dwells is the place of exchange. Okay. What in the world does this have to do with Jesus and the good news of Jesus? Turn with me to John chapter one. I'm sure you guys caught this, but let's go back and just relish how epic this is. This is at the beginning of John one, after that amazing prologue in the beginning was the word, blah, blah, blah. He's just blown all his disciples minds by doing this cool miracle and then he says this to people who are already very impressed with him. So look at verse 50. You guys there? Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Or are you impressed? Oh, man, you're going to see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Jews who would have heard this loved the Torah. And they would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. Which is, you remember what Jacob saw? You remember Bethel? Remember that place where there was an opening? There was a rift between the separation? There was a point of access to heaven? I... And that point of access. I am the house of God. I am the gate of heaven. I love Jesus says in John 15, later on in this book, he's a door. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says he's a door. He is the gate of heaven. So God provided for Jacob at Bethel a glimpse of a portal between heaven and earth. But God provided for the world, for all of us, his son... To be the place where there is an exchange between heaven and earth. To be that point of overlap between the seen and unseen. The place where we can get back to God. And the gospel, the good news, which is good for us this morning, which is true for us this morning, is that it's not just cool that Jesus said that in John 1. He came so that you could actually follow him up the steps. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He did go back to prepare a place for us in his father's house. And he asks us to come and see, to take his hand and journey into heaven with him. Amen? I mean, this is where C.S. Lewis's whole further up, further in thing comes from. This is the point. How did he do this? First Peter says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We were all in exile. Jesus descended, right? He condescended, as we sang in Behold the Wondrous Mystery, into our flesh to be one of us, to take our place in exile. He gave us his righteousness, his intimacy with God in return. And then by his resurrection and ascension, he opened back up the way for us to go with him. So even as the angels descended and ascended, I mean, that is the life of Christ, It's marked by his descension and his ascension. Bethel is all about Jesus. He is the place where there's an open exchange. So maybe you're here today. And again, one of the the bummers about preaching to a congregation you don't know is you just don't know people. So I don't know who you guys are. I don't know your stories. But I also, that there's a gift to that because I'm just assuming you guys are all over the place. Who knows where you are coming from? Maybe you've been here forever. Maybe this is your first Sunday. But particularly if you're on a journey and you are drawn to the spiritual and you're questioning who Jesus is and you're trying to think about who he is, my privilege today is to get to tell you that Jesus and Jesus alone is the place where heaven opens up. He came. So that you could follow him back to God. You don't have to live in exile anymore because of Jesus. Amen? That's for you. He's inviting you. Come and see. And now to finish. Here's how this transforms our idea of church. I love our church network because our church network I think does this a lot. Um, but as faithful Bible readers, we want to make sure we always connect the dots between Jesus and his church. Because the church, the scripture is called the body of. So Jesus and his body is at the right hand of the Father, but Jesus' presence on earth is in his body. And this is where this ceases to become an idea, and it becomes this insane up-close and personal reality. If Jesus is the place where heaven opens up, then the church, this is what this means, the body of Christ on earth is now that place. The church is the household of God. It is the gate of heaven. The mission of Jesus, by filling his disciples with the Holy Spirit, who Peter calls living stones, was to send them out around the world so there could be places where you could actually see and experience jesus and get to experience the same thing that jacob did and nathaniel did which is to be in a place where heaven is opening up through the lord jesus so remember babel is false religion just being in a church or building a building doesn't mean you're creating a portal to heaven and earth people have tried that for a long time but when god's people and the power of the holy spirit faithfully meeting in word and Sacrament, something happens you're you're doing something normal until all of a sudden you come to realize God is in your midst and you didn't know it has that ever happened to you? sometimes somebody's preaching and then all of a sudden the word of God there's just a click and it's like you have this other sense that's opened up and you're like your hair stands up on the back of your neck Same thing for the Eucharist. Our liturgy like explicitly teaches us that there's this mingling of heaven and earth in church. That we ascend with the angels and the archangels as we worship God, that things start to get mixed between heaven and earth in our service. It's a mystery. And though some of you might be like, I've never experienced that before. Or I grew up in church and it was super boring. Never had the experience. (laughs) Jacob had... Oh, I, I just can bear witness to it. And I'm sure your church can as well. There's a lot of people in our church, which is true for so many churches in our diocese, where they just come, they've never been to church before, they just start weeping. They don't know why. Why am I crying right now? What's happening? They're experiencing, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. So, my encouragement for you, Is that what you're doing as a church, this space, you all as a a congregation, you are opening up for South Minneapolis a Bethel. You're opening up, you're making available a place where people who are soaked with the sense of exile have a shot at experiencing the angels descend and ascend to heaven. Let me pray for you. And we will continue our ascending. Jesus, thank you for this congregation, Lord. Thank you for this church. Lord, would you make it a Bethel. You have so richly provided for her restoration already. Lord, I pray that more and more people in this city would get to experience what Jacob did. Lord, we know that's your desire. We know that's what you want. We know you want to reveal yourself to us. Lord, may it be so. And all God's people said. Amen.